Okay, brethren, just checking to see that I'm coming through uh, loudly and clearly. I was looking for confirmation. I, in fact, got confirmation from my own system here. So I don't know if the sound is off here. We don't want that uh, echo. So I'll just have to wait a minute. It looks like I'm good here. And uh, I hope that you can hear me clearly. I was, uh, I'm under the impression that I am coming through clearly. Okay, great. Thanks, Brother Reg. Uh, sound is good. Okay, and again, I was trying to upload our opening video in this new software. It has not, uh, I was not successful in getting the video loaded. So we will just go ahead and open with prayer and then get into tonight's study. We are just learning this new software, so hopefully uh, everything will be good to go, God willing, for next week. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you now and praise your holy name and ask, Father, that you will have uh, mercy upon us in this uh, rapidly changing world that is unraveling right before our eyes. It uh, seems like for so many decades or even centuries, we have had stability in this part of the world, and now that's all slipping away. Uh, but we do have stability, Father, in your word. And we just thank you for this opportunity that we have uh, week upon week to study your word line upon line. We thank you, God, for the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you will uh, bless us through him and that ultimately you will bless the whole world through him, beginning with Judah, Israel, and then all the Gentile nations. Thank you, Father. We ask this blessing in Jesus' most holy name as we are counting now uh, the final few days uh, before Pentecost. We praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, brethren, uh, we are up to Isaiah chapter 11. And uh, let's go ahead and open up the scriptures and get right into it without any more delay. So I want to uh, get into now Isaiah 11, um, and we'll go to chapter 12 as well, God willing. Now, just get organized here. Uh, let's just see what we're doing. <clears throat> so I just want to go back just a little a couple of verses to give us some context as we pick up in chapter 11, and we had a couple of weeks of Q&A, which was fantastic. We still have a couple of questions that came in that we weren't able to address, and God willing, Pastor Murray will be uh, fit as a fiddle so that we can, uh, probably at the end of the month, do another Q&A and address those outstanding questions. Now, um, in terms of context, before we pick up chapter 11, remember right from chapter 1 that Isaiah had this vision, and right from chapter 1, he says, and this is a wonderful software that we're using, by the way, just takes a little bit of uh, reorientation in terms of uh, understanding how to navigate a different platform. But, but I really do, I really do appreciate it. Um, so actually, just before I get into the text for tonight, I do want to share with you, I'm pretty excited about this. I hope you will be as too. You will be also. Uh, the fact that we are uh, very focused on a line-by-line -line reading of the scriptures. And when we understand the big picture, the full context of the Bible, there's one narrative that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. When we understand that narrative, we can go anywhere. We can open up any book uh, on the spot and read the book and understand what, what is the prophet saying in this book or what, are, what is the um, author of this book saying? Because we understand the big narrative, which is rooted in Torah, so we can go anywhere. And that's what this line-by-line -line reading is, is enabling us to do, that we don't have to skip any lines, we don't have to skip any verses, we don't skip any books. We just say, what has God inspired here? And because we're organizing ourselves around the biblical narrative, we can do this. So these Wednesday night Bible studies, I'm, I'm going to rebrand them as a line upon line. So you'll see this new logo that we have that's in, it's line upon line. That's going to be the logo. And just to explain it first, first of all, going from the, the bottom up, you'll see a line and then you'll see another line over it. So just the, the logo is telling us we are, we are careful students who look at this line upon line. On top of that, you'll see a Bible that's opened. And so we are opening the text, these, the sacred uh, ancient text, and we are studying this text line upon line. 
But if you look at this open Bible carefully, you'll actually see that it looks like a bird and it might be clearer in, in other um, renditions. We're doing this transparent over black, but when you actually see the logo in, in other um, presentations, you'll see that there's a bird flying and the, the pages of the Bible are actually the wings of the bird, indicating that this line upon line reading of text is where our freedom comes from, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So this line upon lead, line reading is setting us free. And then over the scriptures, you will see what is a light beam coming out of the scriptures, but it's also a trumpet. And it is the light and the understanding of the gospel that we get from this line by line reading is, an enab is enabling us to broadcast this gospel, this good news to the whole world. And you could also interpret it as an exclamation mark that we don't apologize for the word of God. We just preach it. And uh, also, uh, you could maybe interpret it as well as a Torah marker, that this is what we use to actually read Torah. So I'm very excited about this, um, this logo, would be interested in your feedback as well. But that's how we want to rebrand these studies. So it's not just it's, it's a Wednesday night study, but more importantly, every book that we tackle, we look at it line upon line. So certainly hope that you're as excited as I am about the, the, uh, the, the logo that we have for this, this particular program. Now, in terms of uh, backstory and context, just we're up to chapter 11, but let's get a little bit of context for it. First of all, uh, Isaiah 1 and verse 4, he says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden, laden. You, I think many of us have maybe picked up a sponge or something that's just laden. These are people that are laden with what? With iniquity. That's how he describes his people. A seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken Yehovah. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel, Kadosh Israel, unto anger. They have angered him. They are gone away backward. These are his chosen people. And then he asks them, why should you be stricken anymore? Why, why does this have to continue? Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. There's something just so unruly about these people. The whole head is sick. And the whole heart faint. So God is evaluating his people and he's saying, you know, from the head to the toe, completely corrupt. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. There's, it's an unsound. These are his people that he brought in from through the Exodus into the promised land. They are completely unsound and corrupt. Instead, what we find is, wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. This is his assessment of his people. They have not, these wounds have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. So anybody who's in the medical field or anybody who maybe has had a bad injury um, that is not treated, it stinks, it gets filled with pus, uh, worms can get into it, it's just nasty. And this nasty image is God's assessment of his people. The book opens with this introduction of this is the state of the covenant community. When we got to chapter 7, remember God says in chapter 1 through Isaiah that the whole head is sick. And because the leadership is sick, the whole body is sick. And we saw this sickness and this corruption in King Ahaz. So Ahaz said, I, so he's like, hey, don't, don't lean on the Assyrians. Yes, they are a powerful nation, but you have something more powerful in your corner, and that is Jehovah himself, the creator himself. So don't lean on uh, Assyria. Yes, you're worried about Ephraim, and Ephraim has partnered with Syria to fight against their own brother Judah, and they are terrifying, but don't let that worry you. And, and yes, Assyria has come on the scene as the most powerful global power, don't let that worry you. You don't have to run to Assyria to protect yourself from Ephraim and Syria. Instead, rely on the Lord and tell you what. Ask for any sign, any sign at all, and God will grant it to you to show you that he supports you. You've got to understand Torah. You've got to understand the promises to the fathers. And you've got to understand that you are walking in the covenant line. So Ahaz says, oh, no, 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 no. I, I wouldn't dare ask God for a sign. I, I don't want to tempt Jehovah. 
Well, we know from Chronicles, this is a hypocritical answer. And if you missed this, go back to chapter seven, it's in the archive. And it just shows this is pure hypocrisy. Now, in chapter 10, he says, this is, a, so that's the Judah leadership. So the Ephraim, the, the Northern tribes leadership from Jeroboam, from the, the founding of the Northern tribes, they're corrupt. And every king in the North follows after the sins of Jeroboam. But in the South, we have some righteous kings or mixed reports. Um, but now we have King Ahaz who's over Judah and he is totally corrupt. And the whole body of Judah becomes corrupt as a result. Now, Assyria, the Gentile nation, the global power at the time, not only is Ephraim full of pride, not only is Judah full of pride, and Ephraim is code name really for the northern tribes, Israel, not only Ephraim, not only Judah, but in fact, the Gentiles, all, the, all human beings have the same plague. Solomon, I think, referred to this as the plague of the human heart. We are all plagued with satanic pride. And that's why last week I said, I don't accept that any particular tribe or ethnic group is somehow morally superior to any other. I just reject that completely. All of us, it doesn't matter which tribe of human beings God covenanted himself with, I believe they would all end up the same way. So we're not in any way superior to these people. We are all inflicted with the same thing. It's only that God has covenanted with them and Satan is after them. Just as now those of us who are in the spiritual walk of the first fruits and we have covenanted with God, we are a target for Satan. And you can see people I, I hear quite often, well, there are Christians in other traditional churches, and they're really nice people. In fact, they're nicer than people in the church of God. Okay, what's your point? What's your point? Satan has got them captured. Why would he go after them intensely? It's the people who are walking in the covenant that Satan is going after. And in this, in this process, really bringing to light our human nature. And hopefully, as we will learn through the lessons of Pentecost, through the Holy Spirit, we have, a, uh, we have uh, capabilities and weaponry with which we can overcome not only Satan, but our own human nature. So here, the same plague of the human heart that is in Ephraim, that is in Judah, is also in the Gentiles. And here, this uh, Gentile king, this very, very powerful, you know, power and human nature is a bad, bad, bad combination. And God wants to give us power over the nations but not if we retain human nature. Power and human nature, human nature, it's a bad mix. So here we have this Assyrian king who has global dominance over the earth and human nature. And he's bragging. He says, are not my princes altogether kings? The, the people who are subordinate to me, aren't they equal or even greater than all the kings of the earth? So what does that make me? I'm basically a god on the earth. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. So because this king is just so incredibly powerful, uh, we come, Isaiah uh, is saying to Ahaz in chapter 7, go back to chapter 7, verse 14, look, God is going to give you a sign. You didn't ask for a sign? You want to run to the king of Assyria? You don't, well, God is going to give you a sign anyway, and here's the sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, and again, because you're in the covenant thread, Ephraim is out. Judah is retained, and Judah is in the covenant thread. So because even though you're a corrupt king, it's because of God's commitment and promise to, his, 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 to the patriarchs and to his covenant, you, even though you're corrupt, you are in the covenant thread line. So therefore, even though you didn't ask for it, you rejected it, God is still going to give you a sign anyway. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, in chapter 9, what we saw, this same prophecy brought forward in chapter 9, to Judah, unto Judah, this corrupt nation. We saw in Isaiah 1, God's assessment of Israel and Judah, his, the covenant community, corrupt and horrible and, and lost. But they're in the covenant thread line. Back to the patriarchs, all the way to Revelation. He says, now, for unto us, Judah, a child is born. In the midst of this power play between mighty, mighty kings, what we have is a child. 
a child is born. Unto us a son is given. So this covenant commitment that God has, he gives a son to us, Judah. And the government, these mighty kings and powerful people and global forces, they will be subject to this child. Because the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government. So he's going to start out as a child, and from that grow into a man and a savior. And from there, grow into the universal ruler of not just the earth, but the whole universe, under God the Father. Of the, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and, and with justice from now, even forever. So this throne of David is another covenant that we find that this God, what defines him is his faithfulness. So he says here, this, this government will be established through him. And then notice this, a very important verse or part of phrase in the verse that we must never forget that all of this in the midst of a corrupt people, the zeal of the Lord Jehovah of hosts of what? These, this, this God of armies, he's going to perform this. So he has this, these powerful armies at his command, and he is zealous to do this, despite the fact that Judah is corrupt. And again, people try to convince me how corrupt Judah is. Okay, the Jews are so corrupt, you should see what's in the Talmud. Yeah, I've seen it, and it's disgusting. Okay, what's your point? Because Isaiah's point is, as corrupt as these people are, God will not forsake his covenant. So they have to go through the washing machine, and that's going to be terribly painful. But there's going to be a remnant that comes out the other end so that God can fulfill his covenant commitment to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God is zealous to do this very thing. And the question is, are we zealous? You know, do we care? about what's happening in Jerusalem right now? Do we care about the corrupt government that, that is administering the United States right now and what that means for Jerusalem? Are we attuned and aligned with the zeal of the Lord and what he wants to do in the earth? Or are we just wrapped up in our own self? And it's like, you know, if I have black skin, I'm going to vote for this person because they, 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 they have tripped me up and deceived me. And made me think that somehow my life is going to get better. And all we're seeing now, ha, 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 the joke is on you. Tell me how your life is getting better. From this point forward, we only see decline. It's tragic to see Americans lining up for gas like they're in Venezuela. This is just the beginning. More to come. Did you vote for this administration thinking it was going to help you? You had 50 years of evidence that you were just being played with. It's really sad, but this is the zeal of the Lord. And do we have this zeal? When, when the name Jerusalem comes to mind, how do you react? Where's your zeal? Because this is the zeal of the Lord. So now with that backdrop, we come to Isaiah 11, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. So despite all of this global power and, and what is happening on the global scene and these powerful forces trying to take control and boasting themselves. This child in Isaiah 9 and in Isaiah 7 that is prophesied, now we're getting a bit more detail about this, that a rod that is going to rule the world is going to come forth out of the stem or the, the stub of Jesse, the stump of Jesse, that although Judah will be crushed and taken right down to nothing. There will still be a little stump. And God now is not so much concerned with Judah, not even with the house, the royal house of David. He's concerned with his promise. And he's going to fulfill his promise through bringing this rod out of Jesse. 
this poor family, he's not even in the, the royal family at this point, but this poor family that, that David is, this is where the rod will come from, from Jesse, the stem of uh, Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots because Judah is so corrupt. The house of David, King Ahaz, all of these, they're so corrupt, but the covenant remains in place. So even though uh, Judah is cut all the way back, God will find the stump that belongs to Jesse and bring the branch out of that stump. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of Jehovah, the creator God himself, the spirit of God shall rest upon him. So this is very special. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And again, we tie this back to Isaiah 9. The spirit of counsel. He's going to be a wonderful counselor and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of Jehovah. So the kings, like Ahaz, obviously do not fear God wholeheartedly the way their father David did. And so this king is going to exemplify the fear of the Lord. And he's going to rule and take control with the spirit of God and with the fear of the Lord. He says, and shall make him of a quick of quick understanding in the fear of Jehovah. Remember, the wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So he's going to come to quick understanding in the fear of Jehovah. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, like King Ahaz. And King Ahaz is just a, a, a representative symbol of human government, even when it's within the covenant community. We are plagued with human nature and combine power and human nature. And boy, oh boy, do you have a problem on your hands, even in the covenant community. So this king, however, has no human nature. He is filled with the spirit of God. And so he's going to now judge, unlike Ahaz, who's looking at the situation and thinking, okay, we're under threat from Ephraim and Ephraim has partnered with Syria and they're going to come and crush us. But Assyria is a very powerful nation. And maybe if we partner with Assyria, we can watch as Assyria goes into Ephraim, our brother, and completely destroys them and ruthlessly uh, de degrades them. So this is the judgment of King Ahaz, and I can retain my power. This king that's coming will, won't be thinking like that. So he says, he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. So he's not depending on what's just carnal knowledge. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And when we see these words, the poor, the meek of the earth, do not think in terms of necessarily just today. You know, oh, who's poor? Think prophetically. When the beast power comes into its full bloom, who will be poor then? It's amazing to see, here we are in Canada, it's amazing to see how hostile our government is to Christ. And I've said to brethren, Marxism and Christ cannot coexist. So when you are busy voting for a Marxist government, how do you think this is going to end up? They have power. They have the upper hand. You've given them the upper hand. How are they going to support your, your, your freedom of religion? They're not. And then the images that are coming out of Canada with hostility towards Christ, it's amazing. And get ready, America. More, you, you, you're following now the same Marxist socialist ideology, which is antithetical to Christ. So it's not who's poor right now. People are, can be very wealthy today and Christian and very wealthy today and Jewish. They won't be wealthy when the beast flexes its muscle. All of that will be taken away from them. Just think of the images of the Second World War, 1930s, when Jews had to run for their life and give up all their belongings and became not just poor, but dirt poor. Well, this is the future for most of humanity and especially those who are following Christ, those in the covenant. So when the beast flexes its muscle, anybody who has anything to do with Christ in any way, shape, or form will be stripped of everything. But when he comes, 
he will judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. So this rod is coming up out of Jesse and it's powerful. And we, I think many of us have the wrong concept of Christ because we are educated or we, inf we are informed about Christ from his first coming. And we, we don't understand that when he returns, it's going to be nothing like his first coming. So he is coming, this rod that's coming out of Jesse, he shall smite the earth, the whole earth, with the rod of his mouth. This is coming, the word of God that, you know, I was thinking the other day, there was something I was reading, I forget what it was exactly. But I think it had something to do, I was reading it, it had something to do with, you know, people, parents, um, just showing how, you know, they, they were um, Christian parents, and they were objecting to something. I forget, you know, maybe it was the vaccines or something. I forget what they were objecting to. But they were showing that they are tolerant of homosexuality. And they are tolerant of transgenderism. And they were just putting forward that, you know, they want the, the right to whether or not their children should be vaccinated. And I was just listening. And again, I don't forget the, I don't remember the exact details, but I was just listening. And I was thinking, my, 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 how far we have strayed from judgment based upon Torah. And these Christians sounded so righteous, but they were endorsing homosexuality and they were endorsing transgenderism. And they were sounding very intelligent and very tolerant and very reasonable. But when Christ comes, he's not tolerating this nonsense. He's not tolerating this wickedness. He's the creator and he's going to judge the earth based on the Torah. And I think that these were sort of traditional Christians. But many of us in the covenant community, running up and down after Marxist movements and, and rationalizing our support for Marxism or for Islam. So we need to be careful that our judgment is in alignment with Christ's judgment. Otherwise, when he appears, we're going to be on the wrong side. And that's not going to be pretty. So he's going to smite the whole earth with the rod of his mouth. Anything that's out of line with Torah is going to be crushed. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked again. You don't want to be on the wrong side of Torah when Christ returns. Now, this is we, when we studied 2nd Isaiah, which is in the archives if you missed it. Um, hey, this is, the, this is the suffering servant. This is the humble servant that comes to do what Israel couldn't do, to do what Judah couldn't do. But once he's done that, he's then going to return with power. And so here the suffering servant is introduced to us in Isaiah 42 and verse 1. Behold, God says, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delights. He's the representative of all Israel. I have put my spirit upon him. And this is what makes him different. That God's spirit is upon him fully. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So he's going to bring judgment to the, the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. Back to Isaiah 11. We'll continue in verse 5. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins. So the belt that he wears, the sash that he wears, is righteousness. He clothes himself, unlike the world. There's going to be such a contrast. The world is in such darkness. And that's why, you know, people are going to accuse us of being uh, extremists, of being fanatical, of, of taking the Bible too seriously. Uh, excuse me, Christ is returning. And when he returns, he's judging the earth based upon his word. So if we see brethren slipping and compromising and rationalizing, I support the slogan, I don't support the, oh, you're slipping, you're rationalizing. You realize you, you're, you're wrong-footed and you're trying to rationalize yourself now. Don't do that. Just repent. Just admit you went down the wrong place, back up and go the right way. Because he's coming clothed in righteousness to a world that is clothed in darkness. And it's so easy for us just to slip and fall and compromise. And then we're on the wrong side. 
and we're rejected when he returns. So we're not extremists. We just want to be faithful to the Torah. And, and, and when he appears, then we are conformed to his mind. Faithfulness is the girdle of his reins. Listen to this. When, when he returns, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Can you imagine such a thing? This is you know, seemingly impossible, at least humanly. The wolf has an instinct. And when it sees a lamb, that instinct just kicks in. And it becomes a predator, vicious predator. And the lamb is its prey. But somehow, miraculously, when Christ returns in righteousness and establishes his rule, the wolf is going to dwell with the lamb. We're going to actually see with our own eyes this previously vicious wolf, this erstwhile vicious wolf dwelling with the lamb. And then we'll see a leopard that will lie down with a goat. This is going to be very confusing. For us, so it's going to be like dramatic and awe-inspiring. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. Again, this whole notion or this theme around childhood and innocence being in control. So this will be quite a sight to behold. And this is the vision of Isaiah, of Isaiah. This is what the prophet saw. And this is all concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And the book, in fact, when we were studying Second Isaiah, we saw this. This is so powerful a vision that Isaiah repeats it. In Isaiah 65 and 25, he says, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Instead of the wolf eating the lamb, the wolf and the lamb are going to eat together. It's like, uh, hey, Mr. Wolf, want to come over for dinner? Let's eat grass together. Wow. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the bullock. And dust shall be the serpent's meat. Wow. And it's kind of calling back to Genesis. But the serpent is not going to be out devouring its prey. It's just going to eat dust. They shall not hurt, all these animals shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says Jehovah. Now, I don't know if this is the case globally or if it's just the case in Zion. If I just read this again, a line upon line reading, the indication is it's just in Zion, at least initially. And people are going to come from all over the world to see this miraculous nature of the animals and the whole way Jerusalem is modeled. And they're going to want that all over the earth. And I think it will spread from Jerusalem as people repent uh, throughout the earth. But I really, I don't understand. Uh, this could be globally. It's just the way it is in the new world. Or it could be locally to Zion. And then it eventually will spread to the whole earth. Maybe in the comments you can say, what your thoughts are. Continuing, and the cow and the bear shall feed. Again, this vicious, powerful being. I've never been around, I shouldn't say I've never been around a bear. I have actually been around a bear, but it's pretty far, I don't know, 500 meters or so, and um, maybe closer than that, actually. Uh, and it was a baby, and it was going about its business, <laughs> praise God. But, uh, you know, a, an adult bear, a mother bear, these, these are powerful animals that can tear any prey apart. And the cow and the bear will feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. It, it's just like, try to imagine this. Try to imagine this as a physical Jew that has repented, that's part of the, the repentant remnant, and is now established as a physical priest for God in this kingdom of Zion. And they're just walking around and they're actually seeing these animals lying down together, feeding together, dwelling together. That's going to be something. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So again, this vicious lion behaving like a cow. Wow. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. So these snakes can build their nests underground and they come up out of the hole. And the child will have zero fear. The, the, the Jewish child in Zion is going to be playing 
and there's a hole where they know there's a snake in there, and they'll be playing with the hole, and the snake will come out, and they'll have zero fear. And the weaned child, so the child that's just been weaned, shall put his hand on the snake's den. So wherever the snake dwells, this child that's just been weaned, that you're very vulnerable, and the mother would be very careful over, it's going to go ahead and play in the, in the uh, home of, of vicious vipers, or previously, erstwhile, vicious vipers. And he says, they shall not hurt, nor destroy. Again, he repeats this. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Again, this is um, what gives me the impression, at least initially, that this condition begins in Zion. And it cannot be taken for granted that it's around the world, that people will come to Zion and they will see these children playing with vicious snakes. And that won't be the case in, in their world. In fact, if we just uh, take a look at this uh, quick video here, uh, just to give us the sense of what it's going to be like. Uh, you'll see here in this quick video uh, how this man is uh, playing in the dwelling place of this uh, snake. And uh, let's see how it, how it works out for him. So there's this snake that it's a, it's a pet. And so he's working with the pet. And um, let's just see how this works out. So he's obviously a, he's acquainted with the, the pet. So everybody relax, it's his pet. Whoa, not nice, but that's the nature of the viper. That is the nature of the viper. And yet, what the scripture tells us is, the child that's just been weaned is going to enjoy uh, playing with these uh, vipers as if they're a pet. That they, there will be no issue at all with them playing with these vipers. No issue whatsoever. This is a, an adult male uh, who knows these animals, is very knowledgeable about them, and yet it's, it's, it's nature. It struck him. And if it was poisonous, he would be dead. So, so uh, very, very different situation. So I think people are going to come from all over the world and see this situation in Zion and just be amazed. And it's like, okay, this is the true God. And, and please teach us the laws of this God so that we can, we can conform to his rule. So he says, um, so again, he repeats this, that there's no hurt or destruction in Zion. Because the earth <clears throat> shall be full of the knowledge of Jehovah as the waters cover the sea. And so, you know, this is where I think ultimately this knowledge will spread all over the earth. And as it does, so will this peace and safety. Verse 10, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. Again, it's interesting that the prophet doesn't speak of the house of David. He doesn't speak of Judah. He just speaks of Jesse. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. So there's going to be this root of Jesse that Think of a standard or a flag, a, 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 an army that has its flag that goes out before it. And, and this is the symbol of its power. So the symbol of the power in the new world will be this ensign that comes out of the root of Jesse. And you think of, um, again, before the previous administration. So this would be president number 44. Um, ISIS was just spreading like a weed. Every week they were conquering more and more territory and they were becoming more very powerful and they showed their standard. They showed their black flags and that was a real symbol of their power. And there was a whole sense of like, wow, this um, Osama bin Laden said human beings like to back the winning horse. And so by showing the standard and conquering more and more, it's like, hey, we're the winning horse. And so a lot of people in the Middle East, just started to get behind, even in, I shouldn't say just in the Middle East, all over the world actually, started to get behind this power until number 45 came into office. And he just said, stop this nonsense and just crush them. And they just went away. And this is why you see as well people burning flags because the flag is symbolic of the power of the nation. So here there's going to be a flag. We don't know what it looks like, but we can try to imagine that in the future, all over the world, people are going to come to Zion 
And there's going to be a flag that's flying that demonstrates the power of the root of Jesse and the covenant people. And it will stand for a sign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek. So instead of running after the black flags of ISIS, they'll actually be running after the flag of the root of Jesse, recognizing that there's something very special, something very miraculous happening in the earth, and they want to be a part of it. Osama bin Laden's right. Human beings want to back the winning horse. Well, Christ, Christ, Christ rides the winning horse in the end. Uh, so the Gentiles all over the world are going to see that there's something special in Zion, and they want to be a part of it. And his rest shall be glorious. So this is the Sabbath rest, the 1,000-year the Sabbath rest. It shall be glorious. The abundance of peace is going to be everywhere. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord, Adonai, shall set his hand again. Listen to this. This is prophecy. That it shall come to pass. This is what the prophet saw. That in that day, meaning the end time, that the Lord shall set his hand again, the second time, to recover the remnant of his people. What does that mean? It means this is the second exodus. That the first time was Egypt, and the people were in great distress, and God came and he led them out of Egypt. It was a great multitude that he led out of Egypt. Well, he's saying here he's going to do it a second time. And in another place, he says when he does this the second time, it's going to be on such a grand scale that we will never talk about the first exodus again. That will just be nothing compared to what he's going to do the second time. So we have to have our eye on this second exodus. As he sets his hand, and again, this, this is a hearkening back to what we were talking about, uh, that God, that these people are so corrupt that God is cursing them, and yet at the same time, his arm, his hand is stretched out still. This is the hand that's stretched out still. It's the hand of mercy. That with this hand that's stretched out still, even though they are corrupt, ultimately there's going to be a remnant that, that is going to be truly converted and truly repentant. And with this outstretched hand, God is going to lead this remnant from all over the earth back to the promised land. And this exodus coming from all over the earth is going to be on a scale that causes the first exodus to pale into insignificance. This is prophecy. And if this is not a part of our theology, then something is wrong with our theology. Because this is not just mentioned once, it's mentioned multiple times. And all the prophets agree with Moses that this is what's going to happen. So it will come to pass in that day, meaning the last time, that the Lord shall set his hand again, the second time, to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left. It's going to be such a climactic time. It's going to be such a catastrophic and devastating time, especially for Jacob. It is especially the time of Jacob's trouble. And no nation will ever suffer the way Jacob and specifically Judah and more specifically Jerusalem. No nation will ever have seen this level of suffering and the abomination that makes Jerusalem desolate. And even with all of that, there is a covenant thread line that is still running. And God has not forgotten his covenant. So throughout all of this catastrophe, God is still aware of who are the children of Judah and who are the children of Israel. And he's going to gather them. And where, he's going, where is he going to gather them from? Well, initially and, and primarily and, and in the spotlight is Assyria, I should say Assyria and Egypt. King of the north, king of the south. They're constantly battling each other. Jerusalem is in the middle, and they're battling each other over Jerusalem. There's something that they just cannot stand about Jerusalem that they have to gain control over. And the whole world acknowledges there's no scripture like the Hebrew Bible. None. And this causes resentment, and they try to make up stuff and come up with Korans and Bhagavad Gita's and all kinds of scriptures that don't make any sense. That they don't hold water the way the Hebrew Bible holds water. And so there's this resentment over the scriptures, and they want to destroy it and remove it. And certainly Canada, it's not long before the Bible will be illegal here, the, the way we're going. Uh, so the king of the north and the king of the south, they're 
fighting each other, but they especially want to dominate Jerusalem. And so in the end time, that's the same case. That through these conflicts between King and the North, and, and it says Egypt and Pathros and Cush, all of that is Egypt, Upper and Lower Egypt, what today we would call Ethiopia and Lower Egypt. All of this is, is considered King of the South, which is Muslim. It's Islamic. King of the North is Assyria, what we'd call Turkey today, uh, covering Syria, Iraq, all, all that area. That's all Islamic. So both the King of the North and the South are Islamic. And all the nations that God condemns through his prophets in the end time are neighbors of Israel, and they're all Islamic. So we've got to get this gospel out not only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile, so they can be right with God before he returns. So he says um, that he's going to get, these are nations that have taken his people as slaves. They have an ideology. They have scriptural instruction that even before they're born, it is destined for them to follow this scriptural instruction and to hate Judah, to seek to destroy Judah, to seek to enslave, rape, and, and humiliate Judah. The, this is the sort of genetic code that they have inherited being born in that part of the world. It's just in the culture. So the scripture is clear that both the king of the north and the king of the south hate Judah and are instructed by their God to capture, humiliate, and enslave, and destroy Judah. So king of the north and king of the south, he says here, uh, from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar, which is Babylon, which is Iraq, and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. So all these surrounding areas, all the neighbors of Judah, all Islamic, all hating Judah, all wanting to destroy and enslave Judah, well, he's coming to rescue Judah from these people. And, and this level of hatred, it, it has to go beyond just, the, you know, the latest thing. Uh, it's like, oh, we had a conflict last year. Let's fight over that. No, this goes back thousands of years. This is in the very DNA and heartbeat of the people. And scriptural instruction. They, they believe their eternal life is tied up in the passionate hatred uh, and, and desire to destroy Judah. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations. So now, now the nations are going to see this as well. And shall assemble the outcasts of Israel. So it's like, I'm here now. Let's lift the veil. And let me show you what's really going on in the earth. These are my people. And you are Gentiles. And the only way you can have a relationship with me is through the covenant I have with Israel, specifically with Judah. So he'll assemble now the outcasts of Israel, so Judah and Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. This is prophecy. These are the cursed, and don't say this is the church. This is not the church. These are the cursed, corrupt, rebellious people who are still in the covenant. And God has to put them through this intense washing machine to get them to convert. And there's a remnant that finally gets it and re repents. And not, not only Judah, but also Israel. That Judah and Israel together come in this time of Christ's return to this state of true repentance. And then he gathers them from the four corners of the earth. The very thing we see Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy 30. He says, the envy also of Ephraim shall depart. And the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. So Ephraim sided with Syria to come and destroy Judah. And that conflict between the north and the south, it just constant there. These are brothers that came into the promised land together, and they're constantly envying and fighting each other. But in this time, that's going to stop. So Ephraim is code for the north. So the envy is also of, of we could say, Israel. But Ephraim shall depart. And the adversaries of the south, that's Judah, which includes um, Simeon and Benjamin and even parts of Levi, shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. So it's like, and again, these are Muslims, these are Palestinians. So this is now, they get, they get their identity. We're brothers. These are the Gentiles. These are the people that are trying to destroy us and take us out of existence. Let us stand together and push them back. 
and they shall spoil them of the east together, and they shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, Muslim countries. And this is exactly what Moses said, that when you come to repentance, these curses that you had suffered to bring you to repentance, they'll actually be turned on your enemies, your neighbors that hate you. And the children of Ammon shall obey them, all Islamic countries. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. That is Arabic. The Egyptians, because of the conquest of Muhammad, the Egyptians speak Arabic. That is their tongue. And that Arabic tongue is tied up in the Quran and tied up with the hatred of God's people. And God says, I'm going to utterly, there'll be no trace of this, no trace of this uh, vicious ideology against the Jews and no trace of this mythology. God will utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shot. Again, this is all the Exodus. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people. So he's coming, he's going to do this uh, miraculous conquest of, of uh, Judah's uh, enemies. And he's going to make a path that all these people can now come into the promised land, just as he did with the first Exodus. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people. Again, Moses says in Deuteronomy 30 that this remnant comes at great cost. It's like we've got to put the gold in the furnace to burn off the dross, hot, hot heat. And then when we bring it back out, we have the pure gold. This is the pure gold. And, and it's, it's horrifying to listen to rabbis teach their people how to hate Christ. It's horrifying. But they're the covenant people. And because of this corruption and hatred of their God, they have to go into the furnace. But there are among them gold. And that furnace is going to bring out this precious gold. And then God is going to bring them through this highway into the promised land. There shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left. So it's not many that will be left. It's going to be climactic. And they're going to come from Assyria, the king of the north, that went in to capture them and enslave them. They're going to be released. Like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. So again, that initial exodus will pale into insignificance compared to what's about to happen ahead. And just finish here in chapter 12. And in that day, you shall say, O Jehovah, I will praise you. These are the people that hate him today. These are the people that deny him today. These are the people that will kill you. Remember, Christ says you'll be hated of all nations, including Judah. For his name's sake. These are the people that will kill you when you try to preach Christ to them. They will be filled with rage, but something's going to happen and they're going to com be completely convinced that Christ is king. And they, in that day, not today, but in that day, after they've gone through the furnace, after they've gone through the washing machine, they will say, Oh, Jehovah, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me with cause, Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. And all what we've studied in the Psalms, we see this dynamic where God is angry with his people. But the psalmist and those with the psalmist who are faithful, who repent, who acknowledge their sin, who acknowledge their, their fault, God's anger turns away from them and he comforts them. And so we have to read Isaiah, and, and I'm glad we're doing this actually, reading Isaiah and the Psalms together. Because Isaiah gives us the big macro picture, and Psalms gives us the micro. Psalms gives us what happens in the human heart of the worshiper of Jehovah when, when he comes to realize his flaw. So this is very much calling back to the Psalms. Behold, God, El, is my Yeshua. God is my salvation. They finally come to realize, unlike King Ahaz, you can't go to Assyria. You can't partner with Marxist movements. Only rely on Jehovah. God is my salvation. I will trust 
and not be afraid. Okay, you do your worst. I have realized through the reading of the scriptures and, and answers to prayer and, and this, this covenant thread that God is real. And I understand what he's doing in the earth. And there's a reason for the hope that lies within me. And God is my salvation. So now they come to understand this. And they won't be afraid. And listen to this. For the Lord Jehovah, this actually in the Hebrew says, for Jehovah Jehovah <laughs> is my strength and my song. I think there's something about the name Jehovah that we need to understand so that we can make these people understand that Jehovah is their Yeshua. And if we don't understand this, how can we bring this to God's covenant people? God says in Isaiah 40, second Isaiah begins with, comfort you, my people. So my people are over here. And then there's somebody over here that God actually has a relationship with God, that God can say to them, okay, you guys get it. Could you please comfort my people? Because the people over here are actually not my people, but they have become my people to provoke my people to jealousy. So since you're not my people, can you talk to my people? But what's happened is we are boasting against the, 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 the root. We have come in and we wanted, We have this Greek mentality and we've taken the whole thing over. We've kicked Judah to the curb. We have this replacement uh, uh, ideology, theology, and we don't care about the Jews anymore. We don't care about Jerusalem. And God is saying, like, I brought you in so that you could provoke my people to jealousy. I brought you in so that you could preach the gospel to all nations as a witness, but especially to Judah, to convert them, to show them that their God, say unto Judah, your God reigns. That's all what Second Isaiah is about. And so now if we do that faithfully, these people are able to say, El is my Yeshua. And I will trust and I won't be afraid. They're surrounded by enemies. If you read Zechariah, 12, Zechariah 14, it's horrifying. And yet, because of proper preaching of the gospel, there's a remnant that's no longer afraid. They're willing to sacrifice themselves. They're willing, like uh, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to say, you know what? Uh, God can save us. But even if he chooses not to, we're good, because we are totally in his hands. You know, there's this pastor in Canada, in, in Alberta. Well, there's James Coates. But there's also this pastor, Artur, and I forget his last name. It's a um, long a Polish name. Uh, but he is phenomenal. He is phenomenal. And he doesn't understand the things we understand. But he is an example and an inspiration that, that hopefully the other pastors can grow a bit of backbone. And when the pastors have backbone, hopefully the members have backbone. And we're not afraid of these people. What did they, this? Uh, if you can find the clip, it's fantastic. He says, these are hyenas. And lions do not bow to hyenas. So he will not bow to these communists. Amazing, inspirational. But ultimately, our backbone and our sacrifice inspires Judah. And Judah realizes, I won't be afraid anymore. Yes, we're surrounded by people who are programmed to hate and destroy us. But we won't be afraid anymore. For Yehovah, Yehovah, somebody has taught them that it's about Yehovah. We're not saying, oh, God, and God can be Allah, God can be anybody. No, Yehovah. Yehovah, Yehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my Yeshua, my salvation. Say unto Judah, your God reigns. That's our instruction. Therefore, with joy, shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. This, the salvation is yours, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And in that day, not now, but in that day shall you say, praise Yehovah, 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 Yehovah. When are we going to realize there's something to this name? And we will be persecuted by all nations because of his name. There's something about this name that we must understand, the Holy One of Israel. And in that day, you shall say, speaking to Judah, praise Jehovah. Somebody taught them through the right preaching of the gospel to do this. Despite the, you know, if Christ says, if you're in Judah at this time, if you're in Jerusalem, don't look back, run for your life. Because you have become the focal point 
of prophecy at that point. And somebody is telling them and preaching the gospel so that they understand we better obey Christ. And that remnant is here now. Declare his doings among the people. Are you ready? Are you listening? Make mention that his name is exalted. I wonder what his name is. How far and wide must we, must we look to find out his name? Well, he tells us, for Yehovah, Yehovah is my strength and my song. We're going to sing, or they're going to sing, Yehovah, Yehovah. They're going to be singing his name, that Yehovah is their Yeshua. And then they're going to praise Yehovah and call upon his name, these Jews. And then they're going to sing to Yehovah, but they're going to make mention, these Jews, that his name, I wonder what his name is, maybe it's God. Maybe it's the English word Lord. Maybe, since most of the earth will be worshipping Allah, maybe it's Allah. Or maybe it's what Isaiah understood it to be. And if we're going to be preaching to these people accurately from their scriptures to provoke them to jealousy, maybe we will come to understand his name. And then we will be hated by all nations because of the power of our understanding of his name. The Holy One of Israel. Sing unto Jehovah, for he has done excellent things according to his covenant. This is known now in all the earth. And the whole earth says, let's go to Zion so we can learn about this God. He says, cry out and shout. You inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of you. So it's the daughter of Zion, the end-time Zion, the end-time Jews, the remnant that is faithful, the remnant that repents, the remnant that survives this great tribulation and comes to Christ weeping and praising Him and victorious in this second exodus. It is these human beings in Zion, that are instructed to cry and shout as they inhabit Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of you. And this is the good news. And this is what we must understand as we preach this gospel to Jew and Gentile. What a powerful, powerful word. Powerful, wonderful, wonderful word. We are so grateful as we read line by line to come into this great understanding of Yehovah, of Yeshua, of, of, of how all of this ties together. And we are so grateful for these prophets who were faithful, who, who were subject to great persecution in order to preserve the inspiration and the revelation of God. And then we're grateful to all those who have worked through the, the centuries uh, to preserve the word of God, to translate it into languages that we can understand. But we still have to work. We can't take this for granted. We have to dig and dig and dig. It's, you know, Proverbs says something about uh, a king will hide something, and those have to. We have to dig and seek for it to uncover it. And certainly, God doesn't make this easy. He actually hides His wisdom, so that only those who have passion will find it. Well, we are very grateful, very grateful for you, brethren, for you being with us. And uh, let's remember, we are part of this covenant thread. It started in Gen Genesis. It runs all the way to Revelation, and we've been recruited to be part of this covenant thread. So let's not get distracted, and let's not get discouraged. Uh, America, I, don't, I, I cannot imagine. Well, I kind of can because I'm reading the prophets. But it's hard to imagine because I, all I've ever known is the world where America is dominant. And because of that, the, the biblical root that influenced its foundation has influenced and set the standard of law all over the world. Well, as we have this administration hurriedly and deliberately bringing America into decline and hateful enemies all around wanting to flex their muscles and seek hegemony, I don't know what the future will be like, but I do know it's going to be difficult. But if we are to preach the gospel to Judah and to tell Judah, fear not, your God reigns, 
then let us be lions among the hyenas. God is Jesus Christ is Lord. God bless you, brethren. Amen.